Ashley Brock reading Diane Palmer's book, Justin, Chapter 4. Shelby had hoped beyond hope that Justin might still love her, that he might have married her, not just so much out of pity as, as out of love. But her wedding day had convinced her that what little emotion had been left in him after years of bitterness was all gone. He still blamed her for what he thought she'd done with Tom Wheeler, and he thought she was frigid. She didn't know how to deal with her own fears and his anger. Her marriage was going to be as empty as her life had been. There would be no black-headed little babies to nurse, no soft, sweet loving in the darkness, no shared delight in making a life together. There would be only separate bedrooms and separate lives, and Justin's hunger for vengeance. The black depression that she'd taken to bed on her wedding night got worse. Justin tolerated her presence, but he was away more often than not. At meals, he spoke to her only when it was necessary. He never touched her. He was like a polite host instead of a husband, and day by miserable day, Shelby began to feel a new recklessness. While Justin was away one weekend, she went on a white water rafting race with Abby's friend, Misty Davis. She tried her hard her hand at skydiving. She joined a fencing class. She went back to the old, more reckless days of her adolescence. Justin had never really known her, she thought sometimes. He seemed surprised by the things she enjoyed in a time or two. He acted as if her lifestyle bothered him. Well, what had he expected her to do? She fumed, stay at home and arrange flowers? Perhaps that was the image he had of her. That she was a pretty socialite with with beauty and no brains. She kept working after the wedding, but Barry Holland insisted that she take a few days off. It wasn't right, he said, for her to work through her honeymoon. She wanted to laugh at that and tell him that her husband didn't want a honeymoon. Justin had come home from his latest trip and had gone straight to the feedlot office with an abrupt and coolly polite greeting. After a few bored hours, Shelby found the office just to see how things were going. She liked her job. She missed working terribly. It was something to do. It helped keep her mind off her marriage and her own inadequacies. When she called the poor temporary secretary, Tammy Lester answered the phone, obviously half out of her mind trying to cope with an impatient, frustrated Barry Holloman. So Shelby dressed in a cool white and red summer dress and white high heels and went to work. The old sedan she drove broke down halfway there and she had to have it towed into the dealer car lot where she had her mechanical work done. Once Shelby was at the dealership, as fate would have it, she noticed Abby's little sports car was there and put up for sale. The sight of the car brought back memories. Shelby had driven one like it during six of the blackest months in her life, the time she spent in Switzerland after she'd given back Justin's ring. She loved that car, but she wrecked it, occasionally, wrecked it accidentally. The wreck hadn't dampened her enthusiasm for fast cars, though. Now she wanted one. It appealed to the wild streak in her that had never totally disappeared. It wasn't a suicidal streak. She just loved the challenge. She liked sports cars and the exhilaration of driving in the fast lane. Justin didn't know that Shelby had a wild streak because he accepted the illusion of what she appeared to be rather than wonder what was beneath the surface. Well, he was in for a shock, few shocks. She died. She decided starting now. Because the dealer knew that Shelby had just married Justin, he didn't ask for a cosigner on the note. He sold her the car outright with payments she could afford on her own salary. She parked the little right outside the office, delighted in its new paint job. Abby had it painted red with white racing stripes just before she traded it for something more sedated. 
The new collar suited Shelby very well. She sighed over it, delighted that she could afford it and even manage the payments by herself. All her life, she depended on her father's money. There was something challenging and very satisfying about taking care of herself financially. She was sorry now that she panicked at being on her own and rushed into marrying Justin. She hoped for something more than a roof over her head. But that wasn't going to happen. Justin was taking care of her just as he'd taken care of Abby. And if it had an, any lingering desire for her, it didn't show. After he accused her of being frigid, she kept out of his way altogether. Not only she wasn't so repressed, she could have told him what the problem was and how frightened she was of intimacy. But it was hopeless. Justin would probably be as embarrassed as she was to talk about it anyway. So things would just have to rock along as they had been, until one of them broke the silence. When she got to the office, Barry Holman was pacing the floor while the temporary secretary cried. They both turned to Shelby, put a purse in the top drawer of the desk and smiled. Can I help? She asked. The woman at her desk cried even more. Oh, yes. Yo, she went, pointing to Barry Holman, who looked ferociously angry from his blonde head to his big feet. Only at incompetence, he flashed back. Now, now, Shelby Sue, I'm here. I'll take care of everything. Tammy, why don't you make Mr. Holman a cup of coffee while I'll straighten out whatever's fouled up? Then I'll show you how to update the files and you can keep busy with that, okay? Tammy smiled her soft brown eyes, but okay. She got up and Shelby sat down. Her dark brows looked at this very home and glanced at her uncomfortably. It's your vacation, he said. You shouldn't be here. Why not? Justin is working. Why shouldn't I? He frowned. Well, tell me what needs to be done, and then I'll show you my new car. She said. It was Abby's, and they let me buy it without even a co-signer. Naturally, considering her husband's credit line, he mused. She gave him a strange look, but he ignored it. Delighted in his good fortune. Here, this is what's given Tammy fits. He produced two scribbled pages of notes on a legal pad that he wanted transcribed and put into English instead of abbreviations and scrawls and 50 copies run off with different solutions on each. Simple, isn't it? He said he glared toward the back of the office. She cried. Shelly wanted to. It was an hour's work just to translate his handwriting, but she knew how to use the computer's word processing program. Tammy had three specific uh, Simplified tutorials spread out on the desk, none of which would explain the program to a person who never used a computer. She asked me what these were for. Barry Holdman sighed, picking up one of the discs in his jacket. She thought they were negatives. Shelby had to bite her whole She's never had any computer training, she reminded him. There's no excuse for not having a brain, he returned. Mr. Holloman, Timmy exclaimed, glaring at him as she came back with three cups of black coffee on a tray. That was unkind and unfair. Didn't they tell you at the temporary service agency that computer experience was necessary to do this job? He crumbled. I have computer expertise. Tammy replied with, I play games with my brothers. Atari all the time. Mr. Holman looked at as if he wanted to cry. He ground his teeth together and went back into his office and closed the door. I guess I told him. Tammy creamed quickly. There was a loud feverish. Feverish, furious, damn, from the density of Mr. Holliam's office. Shelby and Tammy changed his glances. They didn't tell me about the computer, Tammy confided. They asked if I had office skills, and I do. I type over a hundred words a minute and take, dic and take dictation at 90. 
but I don't read Sanskrit, she whispered, pointing at the scribbling on the legal sheets. Shelby burst out laughing, felt so good to laugh. She thanked God for this job, which was going to save her sanity. She shook her head and putting the books aside, she began to explain the computer's operation to, time, to Tammy. Afterward, she took the long route home. Mr. Holman had relaxed after lunch, and he was tolerating Tammy much better now. In fact, he didn't even growl when Shelby had mentioned that it might be commonly to have two secretaries in the office because of the backlog of filing and updating the computer's entries. Talked about taking on an associate, and if he hired Tammy full-time, he could do it. Shelby turned the small sports car onto the highway, sharply delighting in its rack and pendant steering and easy handling. She counted up and up and up, loving the speed, loving the freedom in the wind, tearing through her long hair. She felt reckless as she told Justin she had nothing left to lose. She was going to enjoy her life from now on. Justin could just do his worst. There was a slow car in front and she didn't even brake. She surged around it and rarely got back into her lane as the white car sped in the opposite direction. She thought it looked familiar, but she didn't look in the rearview mirror. It was going toward the feedlot. She passed the turnoff, increasing her speed. She wasn't ready to get home to herself just yet. Cowan was muttering prayer as he pulled up in front of the feedlot. That was Abby's old car, and it had been Shelby at the wheel. He barely recognized her in the split second, her face laughing with pleasure at the speed, her hair at the at the speed, her hair flying in the wind. She made Abby's friend Missy Davies look like a safe driver by comparison. By comparison. Justin looked up from his desk as Cowan came in and closed the door behind him. It's almost time you got home, he remarked Lansing at her wife. I didn't think you were coming back today from Montana. Cameron Gray. I missed Abby. Speaking of Abby, he had apparently himself lazily on the end edge of his bushes. A wild woman driving her sports car just came in within an inch of running me down. Didn't Abby sell it? Justin remarked. She certainly did. I insisted. I see. Justin smiled faintly, healing back with his cigarette smoking his lingering. I gather that some other fool's wife is driving it. You could put it that way. She was doing 80 if she was doing a mile. <clears throat> His dark eyes now. Are you sure you want Shelby to have it? There's a shock sound. What do you mean, do I want Shelby to have it? Justin set up a broker. Are you telling me Shelby was driving that sports car? I'm afraid so, County said quietly. You didn't know? Justin's expression became grim. Shelby wasn't happy, and he knew it. Her most... Recent behavior was already worrying him, although he was careful to keep his misgivings from Shelby. Both purchasing, but purchasing a sports car was going too far. He was going to have to talk to her. He avoided confrontations, letting her settle in, keeping his distance while he tried to cope with the anguish of having Shelby in his house. When she backed away the minute he came into the room, but this was too much. He couldn't let her kill herself. He got up. From the desk without even looking at Calhoun, plucked his hat off his hat rack and started for the door. Was she going toward the house? He asked the opposite direction, Calhoun. His eyes, Justin, what's going on between the two of you? The older man looked at him. Black guys, my private light, if it's none of your business. Calhoun folded his arm. Abby says Shelby is running wild and they're, and that you're apparently doing nothing to stop her. Are you that hellbent on revenge? You make it sound as if she's suicidal, Justin said coldly. She's not. If she was happy, she wouldn't be like this, the younger man persisted. You gotta stop trying to live in the past. It's time to forgive what happened. That's damn easy for you to say, Justin Black has back. She threw me over and slept with another man. Cowan stared at him. You don't have my track record, but you're not no more saint than I am, big brother. So 
suppose Shelby couldn't accept the woman in your past. It's different with men. The old man said, her, is it? She was mine. I'm so damn careful never to put a foot wrong with her. I held back and gritted my teeth to keep from scaring her. She flinched away from me every time I touched her. And all the while, she was sleeping with that paste-to-face boy millionaire. How do you think I felt? He blazed. And then she told me that I was too poor to suit her expensive taste. She wanted somebody rich. She didn't marry him, did she? Calhoun returned. She left for Europe and went wild, just as she's going wild now. She wants... She was in a wreck in Switzerland, Justin. She left for Europe and went wild, just as she's going wild now. She was in a wreck in Switzerland, Justin. In a sports car, he added, watching the horror grow in his brother's eyes. Just like the one she's driving now. She was grieving for you. Even her father realized that at last. Justin fumbled a cigarette in his mouth. Nobody ever told me that. When would you ever listen to anybody about her? Tell me why. It's only in the past few months that you've calmed down enough to talk about anything connected with the Jacobses. I wanted her, Justin ground out. I can't imagine how I felt when she broke it off. Yes, I can, Calvin replied. I was there. I know what it was like for you. But you never even considered that Shelby might have had a reason. She tried to explain it once, to tell you why she broke off the engagement. You wouldn't even listen. What was there to listen to? Justin asked impatiently. She already told me the truth in the beginning. I never believed it, Calvin replied, and neither would you have if you hadn't been in love for the first time in your life and so damn uncertain about your own ability to keep Shelby. You were always worried about losing her to another man, even to me, remember? It was hard to argue with the truth. Justin knew he'd been possessive about Shelby. Hell, he still was, but how could he help it? She was a beautiful woman, and he was a plain, unworldly man. He'd never been able to understand why Shelby had stayed with him as long as she had. Even now, Calvin continued to it seems to me that you're trying your best to make her leave you. Justin smiled. My, what do you expect me to do? Tie her in the cellar? He asked reasonably. I can't make her stay if she doesn't want to. Help. He laughed. I can't even touch her. She flinched away from me the one time I tried to make love to her. He said bluntly, remembering. His eyes went black. I can't get near her. She's afraid of me that way. How interesting. Telling that she's in the worst. That such an experienced woman of the world could be afraid of sex, isn't it? Justin, what do you mean? Cowan didn't answer him. He was smiling a little when he stared out the door, but Justin could see his smile. I've got to get home. See you, big brother. And before Justin could reply, he was gone. Justin took a minute to get his temper under control. He went out the door behind Cowan without a word to his secretary, his eyes narrowed with concern. Cowan had delayed him too much long. Suppose Shelby wrecked that little car. He went up and down the road, but he didn't see any sign of the sports car. Later, he went to the house and almost went down on his knees with relief when he found it parked at the steps. He had to force himself to behave normally when his hands were almost shaking from fear that he might find her in a ditch somewhere. He walked into the house, tossing his hat on the hat rack, and went into the dining room where Shelby was sitting in a chair halfway down on Cherrywood table, talking to Maria about some new recipe. She looked toward the doorway, but when she saw him, all the laughter and animation went out of her life. A light that was suddenly turned off. She was wearing a red and white dress, and her hair was down around her shoulders in a pretty dark, wavy tangle. The wind, he thought absently, tearing through her hair in that convertible. I've traded cars, she said defiantly. How do you like it? It was Abby's. You don't even have to co-sign with me. I can make the payments from the salary. <laughs> Justin glanced at Maria, who knew the, at the look and made herself scarce. He sat down at the head of the table. 
lit a cigarette, leaned back in a chair, and stared at me. The last thing in the world you need is a sports car. You already drive too damn fast. She searched his dark eyes, reading the thinly veiled concern. Somebody saw me in the car this afternoon. She guessed he nodded. Calhoun. I thought it was him. She studied her hands in her lap, turning the single band on her wedding finger. I like speed, she said hotly. I don't like funerals, he shot back. I don't intend on having to go to yours. You'll take the sports car back tomorrow, or I'll take it back for you. It's mine, she cried, her green eyes flashing angrily, and I won't take it back. He took a long draw from a cigarette. In his reclined position, his white silk shirt was drawn taut over tan muscles. His chest was thick with hair that peeked out through the unfastened top buttons of his shirt. His jacket was off, his sleeve rolled up. He looked devastatingly masculine for his disheveled black hair to the center of his mouth. I'm not going to argue about it, honey, he replied. Through a veil of smoke, his black eyes searched. Cowan told me he wrecked the car overseas. That was an accident. You aren't going to have any accidents here, he said. I won't let you kill yourself. For heaven's sakes, Justin, I'm not suicidal, she protested. She lifted her coffee cup to her lips and took a affordable sip of the black. I didn't say you were, he agreed. He moved his ashtray on the tablecloth, watching it spin around. But you need a firmer hand than you've been getting. I'm not Abby, she said. Her finely etched features grew harder. As she looked at him, I don't need a guardian. He looked back, black eyes searching quiet. While we're on the subject, I don't like you working for Barry Holdman. She blinked. She felt suddenly as if control of her own life was being taken away from Justin. I didn't ask how you liked it, she reminded. I told you before we married that I wanted to keep on working. There's more than enough to do around here, he said. He tapped an ash into the ashtray. You can manage the house. Maria and Lopez do that very nicely. Thank you, she replied. She said, I don't want to stay home and throw around the house and soap lounge pajamas and throw parties, Justin. In case you wonder, I've had my fill of charity work and flower arranging and social welfare. Welfare. He was looking at the cigarette. Not her. I thought you might miss those things. In the old days, you never had to lift a finger. She studied her neat hands in her lap, pleating the thin silky fabric of the red and white dress. My father saw me as a parlor decoration, she said tautly. He would have been outraged if I tried to change my image. He frowned slightly. Were you afraid of him? I was owned by him, she replied. She sighed, raising her eyes to Justin's. The curiosity there puzzled her, but at least they were talking for a change instead of arguing. He wasn't the easiest man to live with, and he had terrible ways of getting even when Ty and I disobeyed. He kept you pretty close to home, he recalled, although he trusted you with me. Did he really? She laughed hourly. Justin, you were the second man I ever dated, and the first I ever went out with alone. You'll look shocked. Did you think my father let me live the life of a playgirl? He was terrified that some future hunter might seduce me. I lived like a recluse while he was alive. Justin wasn't sure he understood what he was hearing. His head tilted a little and his eyes narrowed. Would you like to run that by me again? He asked. You haven't been out with a man alone until you went with me. That's it, she agreed. I didn't get out of my father's sight until after I broke the engagement and went to Switzerland, she smiled at me. I guess the freedom was too much because I ran wild. The sports car was just an outlet, way of celebrating. I never meant to wreck it. How badly were you hurt, he asked. I broke my leg and cracked two ribs, she said. They said I was lucky. He finished his cigarette and crushed it out. 
I didn't realize you were that sheltered, he said quietly. He was only beginning to understand how innocent she'd been in those days. She only dated one other man, and very likely her first taste of intimacy had been with him. He thought about that, thought himself go taunt. He expected her to have a little experience, even though he'd known she was virginal. But if she had none, it was easy to understand why his adore would have frightened her so. I couldn't talk about things like that with you, she confessed. I was young and hopelessly naive. He stared at her narrowly. His black eyes glowed. I frightened you the night we got engaged, didn't I? Yes, I that was why you pulled back. Not because I disgusted you. She caught her breath on it. You never disgusted me, she burned out, hurting from Oh, Justin, no, you didn't take that. We didn't know very much about each other, shall we? He said his voice deep and measured. I suppose we both had false ideas. I saw you as a sophisticated, elegant, social woman. And while I knew you were innocent, I thought you had some experience with men. If I had any idea of what you just told me, I damn sure wouldn't have been that demanding with you. She went red and a bird in her eyes. She couldn't find the right words. Amazing that they were married and she was 27 years old. And this kind of thought could still embarrass her. I was afraid you couldn't stop, she murmured evasively. He sighed heavily and lifted his coffee cup to his lips, drained So was I, he said honestly. It was touch and go for a few seconds. At that, I'd gone hungry for a long time. I didn't think men had to these days, she said softly. I mean, society is so permissive and all. Society may be permissive. I'm not, he said flatly. His black eyes flashed. I never was in the way you mean. A gentleman doesn't seduce virgins. Or take advantage of a woman who don't know the score. That leaves party girls out. He held up the cup in his big lean hand, smoothing over it. And just to be frank, honey, the type never appealed very much to me. Her soft eyes searched over his hard features, lingering on his chiseled mouth. I guess you never liked offers all the same, she said, letting her gaze fall to her lap. I'm rich. There's cool cynicism in the words. Sure, I got offers. He studied her face, calculating. In fact, Shelby, I had one while I was in New Mexico last week. Wedding ring and all. Her teeth clenched. She didn't want him to see that it bothered her, but it was hard to Did you? Put the cop down. You're as possessive about me as I am about you. He said, then surprisingly, surprising her gaze out to look locked with his in a slow electric exchange. You don't like the thought of other women making eyes at me, do you, Shelby? She crossed her legs. No. She said honestly, smiled mockingly as he went on to Well, if it's any comfort, I froze her out. I won't cheat on you, honey. I never thought you would. She played any more than I'd cheat on you. That would be the eighth wonder of the world, <laughs> he remarked with deceptive softness, considering your hangups. We've been married for almost two weeks, and you still look like a sacrificial lamb every time I come near you. She drew no slow sitting. Yes, I know, she said miserably. She smiled bitterly. I'm afraid of my own failings, Justin. I guess you won't believe it, but you can't possibly blame me any more than I blame myself for what I am. He's growled. He hadn't meant to put her on the defensive. His pride was stung and he was striking out, but he didn't want to hurt her anymore. Done enough of that already. I didn't mean it like that, he said on my breath. It's the way things happen, that's all. He looked at his age for a minute. His expression blinked, his dark eyes haunted. You savaged my pride, Shelvage. You savaged my pride, Shelby. It's taken a long time to put it behind me. I guess I haven't just yet. I didn't get off scot-free either, she murmured, her ten shoulders slumped. I've had my share of grief over what I did. 
Why? He asked shortly. She closed her eyes. I did it for your sake, she whispered. You let on name for Well, that's a new tack, at least. He ground out the half-finished cigarette and counterfeit. I've got some paperwork to do before Maria gets supper on the table. He paused beside her chair, watching the way she stiffened as he got closer. He reached out and caught a handful of her long hair, dragging her head back so that he could see her eyes. Fear, he ground out something. That's all I ever see in your eyes when I come near you. Don't sweat it, honey. You won't be called on to make a superior sacrifice. I'm not desperate. He let her go and moved past her with anger in every line of his powerful body, without another word or a backward glance. Shelby felt the tears come and she didn't stop them. He didn't know why she was afraid and she couldn't tell him. He just assumed that she withdrew because she didn't want him. Nothing was further from the truth. She did, desperately. But she wanted him controlled and gentle, and she remembered how it had been when he wasn't. She got up from the table and went up to her room to spend a few quiet minutes before they ate, getting herself back together again. So hard to talk to him, to get around his growing impatience. Her rejection was only terrible thanks to him, and even though she felt protected, she wanted to give him what he wanted, to erase those hard lines from his face. But she was so frightened of the demands he might make on her. If only she could tell him, but her sheltered background made it too embarrassing to explain why she was the way she was, until she could find a way to make him understand it was going to put an even worse strain on her marriage. End of chapter 4